And so we're looking at Haggai uh, chapter 2, 1 through 5, and coming into next week also into 1 to 9. But when God is with you, do not fear. And for those who haven't been here before, just to give a little bit of background going to the next slide, as we see here, is that the audience is the post-exiles. They have been in exile. Remember, they were taken to Babylon. They were taken um, away, and the Medes and the Persians, and then came back. And they're living within a broken religious system. They are um, really a broken spiritual relationship because they had disobeyed God. And now they have a broken worldview because of living amongst, uh, back in their own land. But uh, they, weren't, they are not the conquerors. They are the ones who are kind of living in submission and just as um, those living within the nation. And so on to just some of the main characters. Uh, we see Haggai, who is a prophet, received communication from God. And in chapter 1, if you've seen the book, one of the themes we see is, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts. And, and his message to the people is, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Literally, evaluate your life. Consider your ways. He says it in verse uh, 5 and in verse 7. And then Zerubbabel, who is the governor, the grandson of Jehoiachin, in charge of rebuilding the temple way back, uh, who was taken, his, uh, Jehoiachin, who was taken captive. And then Joshua, Yeshua the priest who is responsible for helping, leading them in proper worship. And that's where we're going to begin this morning, um, just to give you that context. But let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have. Thank you for the privilege we have to open your word, to be able to read it, to be able to understand it. And I pray that you would direct our hearts, help us as we study your word, to be able to apply it to our own lives but to understand that uh, you are the same faithful God, how you provided to the nation of Israel, you also um, provide for believers in the New Testament, and we're thankful for that, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Allow me to read out of uh, Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak how to now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. If we just stop there and understanding the context of what is taking place, as we look back earlier on as we were going through, you know, the people had turned. At first, they had been in the land, and they had built their houses, and they were not working on the temple. And then finally, Haggai explains to them, guess what? Your crops aren't growing. You aren't being blessed because of your disobedience. And so the people finally turn and say, you know what? We will obey. We will build the temple. And the work is going slowly. And it actually pales, as, as we see here, it pales in comparison to the former glory of the past temple. And Haggai is uh, some comment. Um, some of the comments said that maybe he's older and might have even seen the former temple in its glory. 
but the temple they're building, it's smaller. It is not as brilliant, and it's affecting the attitude of the workers. And, you know, who are only viewing the negative perspective of their situation. You know, when you, are, you have only faced hardship, this nation has faced hardship. They've been in exile. They come back. Everything is difficult now. And, you know, they've seen these past difficulties. And, and when we're in those circumstances, it's easy to just dwell upon the negative. And that's the challenge. But this morning, I want to look at, first of all, as we think about the negative aspect of this passage, and what I want you to do is not negatively, but negative in the sense that don't, do not. So if you think about it, first of all, do not allow discouragement to keep you from completing God's work. That is what is being encouraged here. Don't allow discouragement to keep you from God's work. And in today's society of mental health issues and distractions and challenges, it's easy to have no fortitude. Because if we look at our surroundings, you know, some of the older generation think about how things were. And, uh, you know, they dwell upon, oh, you know, how great things were. Some of the newer generation, you know, you, what do you have to compare it to? But you think, this isn't right. This isn't good. You know, it could be better. Or, or some of, there are always some who are going to be optimistic, looking at, oh, what it could be. And those who are a little more pessimistic. Well, you know, we don't have this. But here, Haggai is expressing, said, don't be discouraged. And the first thing he says here is, as we see in, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 15, because as we saw earlier in the last message as we were going through the series, it says where they came and decided to work on the house of the Lord, and, it's, and they started in verse 15, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So it gives us that uh, simply a timeline. But then starts off, Haggai records, in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, speak now to them. So if we look at that, how much time has passed? About four weeks. A month. And you know what was happening? The work is slowed down. And if you're a, a manager of people, sometimes, you know, that's difficult to get people motivated and moving, keep going on. But you think, it's only been four, four weeks, you know, and they've already got an attitude of, oh, man, this isn't going very well. So the work is slow because of discouragement. You know, this is a long-term project. As we see here going through, they lost sight of the presence of God. And they're just dwelling on their circumstances, on the building. You know, oh, it's, it pales in comparison to what it was before. And so what I, what, I, what I encourage you is, first of all, you know, as we look at discouragement, you know, don't be discouraged because, you know, if you think about it, discouragement can lead to many different issues. But there's a golfer who was in his golden years, had a lifelong ambition to play one hole at the Pebble Beach, California. If you're a golfer, you ever heard of that? It's a, a famous place to play. And what they do is they drive the ball out, and it goes over on this little island of water. You have to be pretty decent to play. I, I've played golf a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not good at all. Um, I don't have the time or the money to play consistently. But if you're able to hit it on that little island, you know, it's, it's really good. Well, this one golfer was going out there. He wanted to play there one hole, so he hits it out, you know, and he would always be short. And so he would never use a new ball when he played there because 
if you know anything about golf, if you think you're going to go over water and get it lost, you use an old ball, just in case, right? Well, he went to try again, and so he comes to that hole, and he puts it on his tee, um, and he's getting ready to hit it, and all of a sudden he hears a voice, and it says, wait, replace the ball, that old ball with a new ball. He looks around, you know, wondering what's going on, and so um, he, he gets out a new ball, you know, really expensive, puts it on there, and uh, so he complies. He isn't sure, a few misgivings, but he puts it on there, and so he's getting ready, and then he hears a voice says, step back and take a practice swing. So he steps back, takes a practice swing. And then so he steps up to address the ball, and uh, the voice says, wait, take another practice swing. So he steps back, takes another practice swing. Then the voice says, replace the new ball. The whole point is understanding is talk about being discouraged. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to do it. But as we think about discouraged, there's many things in our lives that discourage us. And here, as we see here going through in, in verse 1, it's only four weeks. So if you're following along in the notes, do, don't, do not allow time to discourage you. See, we're always controlled and dictated by time. And here, the people stopped working and believed they could never fulfill the grandeur of the former temple. Maybe it's because, oh, we don't have enough time or we don't have enough... Uh, ability and this is a lesson of finishing what you started and so often whether we believers or as individuals we start something and we can't finish it or we don't want to finish it because maybe there's you know you in time wise we look at it and oh there's just too much time I, I can't complete it to give you an example would be you know sometimes in marriages so you know we've been gone for so long and can't finish or or if you've ever started a diet you know, die is like a lifelong um, time. And, oh, you know, I have to give up so much. I can't do that. Or exercise. You know, we look at it in the long term. It's like, oh, it's not worth it. And so quickly, people give up on the process. But as we see here going through, I always appreciate it because in the Word of God, it talks about how God says, brings it to the leaders. He says, hey, to Haggai the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, you know, the governor, and to the high priest, and to the people, and tell them. And understanding that these people have been discouraged. This is the context that um, they're looking at the time-wise and aren't able to complete it. And it's important for us to, to set goals time-wise, but what I want you to remember is that God's timing is not always our timing. In our lives, we have certain ideas that we set up. Okay, you know, and maybe you, when you're younger, you know, in five years, I want to do this. In 10 years, I want to be here. And so we set up our own timeline. But really understanding the word of God talks about that our times are in his hands. If you look at Psalm 90, 12 through 17, Psalm 90, 12 through 17, it, it states and says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands." Understanding is that within the time frame of God, we know that, uh, 
you know, as we think about it, uh, a thousand years to the Lord is like what? A day. And for us, you know, that's a long time. We, we only are measure, we measure everything in time increments because that's all we know. While God created time, space, and matter, he is able to exist outside the boundaries of time, space, and matter, but he also works within the constraints of, of time, space, and matter. And that's difficult for us to understand because we only know time. Each of us had a beginning. Each of us, you know, have a process of time. We are, are dictated by time, usually. And to understand that those constraints upon us. And so as we look at time, sometimes it can discourage us. And here, these individuals who are working and looking in only four weeks, and it really is a reminder to us how quickly we become dissatisfied. But what I would encourage you, wherever you're at, if you think about time in your life, you know, there's some who, uh, friends who, you know, oh, man, they thought the rapture is going to happen in every, in every generation looking at, oh, will it occur now? When will it occur? They want to know. Don't be consumed about that. It will occur. The key is really the, is to be ready whenever it comes or whenever it occurs or whenever the time for our life ends. Our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. The whole point is not like that we're like water, but that it's very short. And we don't know how much time we have on this earth. Here, this time as we look at it is important for us to understand because it also is affected in the area of discouragement is that we should not allow our expectations to discourage us either. So don't allow expectations to discourage you. As you see in verse 2 and 3 where it talks about especially in verse 3, where he says, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not, is this not in your eyes as nothing? I know the um, New King James and the King James, they put it into a phraseology where it's a little confusing. But let me just read it out of the Holman Christian for a second, just to give you a different perspective, where it talks about in verse 2, 3, it says, who is left among you and who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? So if you've ever experienced something wonderful and great, I'll give you an example. How many have ever heard of Cedar Point, um, Ohio, the, um, the uh, theme park in Cedar Point, Ohio? Some of you have, okay? Okay, now any, think of even any big theme park such as like... Um, you know, Six Flags, right. Now, if you were to go down to, uh, down to Central Phoenix, about 17th, well, 17th Avenue and the metro area, what is there? What's that called? Castles and coasters, okay? And if you were to go on that uh, roller coaster, you'd be like, wow, boy, this is fun. Some of you haven't ever been on a roller coaster. encourage you to do it. But the whole point is you would, it would pale in comparison to, to some of the rides that you had before, the roller coaster, you'd be like, whoa. You know, your expectations would be very different. And that is how the nation of Israel, they were discouraged. And after a month, the work had slowed because of the size of the temple. It paled in comparison. And people were discouraged and lost sight of their goal. Imagine if you were to, I'll give you another idea of expectations. How many of you order from Amazon or if you understand Amazon, right? And you order something, you're all ready, maybe you're ready for a print. Okay, so you, so you place an order and all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, you're going to get a print this size, right? 
So kind of a decent size, you know, maybe um, looking at it 12 by um, 8, you know, something like that. And then you get it, and then you order it, and then you get something this big. You're like, wait a second, what happened? You know, maybe I didn't pay attention to the details, but, you know, that's a little different in size. Your expectations have been shattered. You're like, oh, I can't believe it. Why did that happen? So um, in different relationships, your expectations can be unmet uh, in, at your work. Sometimes you, um, you, have you ever worked at a job where your expectations didn't meet uh, what you were expecting? Sometimes uh, whether it was the benefits or the pay, it didn't qualify. Um, in a relationship, sometimes um, um, husband-wife relationships, if you're married, you know, getting into that. Sometimes you expect, oh, marriage to be perfect and everything, you know, and never have any problems. Uh, there was uh, one night at the dinner table, uh, the there was a couple sitting together, and the wife commented, you know, when we were first married, you took the small piece of steak and gave me the larger piece. Now you take the larger one and leave me the smaller one. You don't love me anymore. Husband replies, nonsense, darling. You just cook better now. So just understanding expectations, humanly speaking. And so here, as we come back to that, we can often lose sight of God's plan for our lives. And when we pay attention to others, and God's plan for our lives is not the same of his plan for others. The expectations of what God is doing, what he will do. You know, we must not be discouraged that God has forgotten us or loves us less than other people or other ministries. See, obedience and submission to God are what he requires of us. Too often, we pay attention to our circumstances around us or our environment, and what happens is we desire prominence, popularity, recognition. But those are humanistic desires, and God may grant some of those, but they're superficial and temporary. And it's our expectations that... Uh, we base upon our joy and our happiness upon those unmet needs. People think that, oh, if I'm married, I'll be happy. Or if I have that job, I'll be happy. If I have a house, I'll be happy. If I have a, a new car, I'll be happy. And then those unmet expectations, they are, well, that didn't work. What next? If I have a lot of money, you know, if I go and try to find myself. You have a lot of individuals who, who go around the world or just give up everything and are searching for true joy and happiness. And they'll never have that because their expectations are both unrealistic but also misplaced. And here, the Israelites, their, if you will, the basis of their joy and um, their obedience is misplaced because it was to be found in the work that God had given them. And they were simply to obey. And as we look at even Numbers 11, 4 through 9, Numbers 11, 4 through 9. Numbers 11, 4 through 9, and states says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. To give you some context, they're in the wilderness, right? And the people are complaining. They're complaining about, oh, life back in Egypt. It was so good. But they forgot. They were slaves in Egypt. 
And, you know, they had no freedoms. And it was, you know, it's easy to remember when our circumstances are unfavorable of how life was better beforehand. And so their expectations. And these individuals, the past experiences are sometimes misrepresented because of their present difficult situations. So we need to be careful within our, our present circumstances, how often we can misrepresent how things were or, or what could be. But the expectations, as we think within the context of don't allow discouragement from keeping you from completing God's work. If we believe, if you um, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it means that you are his child and that he has a plan on for your life, and to fulfill part of that ministry, part of that responsibility of honoring, serving, glorifying Him. And sometimes we can let other people's expectations discourage us. Um, example in ministry, sometimes, you know, we can, we can let um, people who are maybe better at us or who are not as good as us affect our ministry, whether it be in singing and in participating or in serving or, or I can't speak or I'm shy. And so, um, people can affect not your confidence, but your ability to serve one. I'll give you an example. If you've grown up, um, someone was talking to me about how in, uh, when they grew up, um, their music teacher or their choir teacher said, here, you shouldn't sing. You know, just mouth the words. You know, you sing so low, so low that no one can hear you. But, you know, that can affect a child in how they're going to be perceived or how they're going to express themselves later in life. And so my point is that sometimes we can allow other people's expectations to discourage us. Our parents, our friends, they say, oh, you can't do that. Or you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go into missions. You shouldn't go to church. You shouldn't do that on Sunday. Why don't you come do that with us? And so the danger is we start pleasing other people in place of God. When people are bigger, um, when God is big, when people are big and God is small, that's what often happens is that we lose sight because we are more fearful of what others think than what God thinks. But that's a challenge is that here, as we understand the expectations, the people thought, you know, the grandeur of the temple, you know, the other nations will see. And if you think about the splendor back at the time of Solomon, the, his prayer dedication, and how well everything was gold ornate, I mean, it would have been a sight. And I'll be granted, there's a lot of other um, houses of worship or um, belief systems that have wonderful palaces and grandeur, and they've existed for years. And, the, and architecturally, they're beautiful. But the challenge is sometimes inside they're empty because they aren't worshiping the one true God. And here, Haggai is expressing to them, don't worry about the outside. It's what's on the inside. And this is another picture of what is taking place in the book because the theme of the book is, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. It's not about the superior. It's, about ex it's not about the exterior. It's about the interior. Think about it. Here in this passage, in this text, they're worried about the outside, what it looks like. It's not big enough. It, it, it's not like it was before. Instead, what they should have been focusing is what's on the interior, their heart, their motivation. And so they were failing in that. And so that affected their expectations. So as we see here coming through the circumstances that they place it on, and humanly speaking, we do sometimes the same thing. 
Maybe you've been a believer and you go through difficult times, and especially young believers, as they go through and learn more about God, they say, this life is hard. I thought everything was supposed to be easy. You know, the preacher on TV said, if I pray, if I give money to them, that, you know, I'll get a new car, a new house, you know, new clothing, everything. But that's not how it is. But understanding is, as you read the Word of God, you are going to face trials. You're going to face temptations and difficulties. However, your perspective, you will have the Spirit of God with you. And so what changes is the transformation coming from the internal. And that's what is misunderstood by some other belief systems because they, they believe that if, if I work, I can gain. It's from a humanistic perspective. I can gain and earn my way to salvation. But the Bible speaks that it is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I'll be honest, we do boast. Humanly speaking, um, we boast a little bit. Part of it is because we're not very good at many things. You know, so we've got to pick one thing we're good at, right? And that's okay. You know, we, we want to, you know, hey, it's not that we build our self-esteem, but it's okay to be confident and good at something. But I'll be honest, there are some people who go beyond that into the area of narcissism. I had an um, individual I know who, who used to make fishing lures. If you know anything about fishing and uh, fishing lures and flies, and he would go into all this detail, and he'd tell everyone about it. You know, hey, I can do that. And while it was good, it's like after you've been around an arrogant person for a little while, it's like, please, you know, stay away because they all, that's all they want to talk about. Hey, I did this and that. You know, I'm good at this. And, you know, it's, it, it bothers you after a while. It's like, okay, that's enough. But to understand here that God is the one who has given us uh, salvation. And as we come back to understand the interior, God want, desires a transformation from us. And that by our works, by our, our works, our demonstration of our love for Christ. So as we come through here, even in verse 3 and 4, as it says, Now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord of, and be strong, Joshua the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. The challenge is that we need fortitude, and uh, someone once defined it as stick-to-itiveness. Or as we see in our notes, you must have patience. Patience with our circumstances, patience with others. But here, Haggai is reminding the people to have patience. And even in the Old Testament, what has occurred is people have succumbed to the sentiment of immediate gratification. Immediate gratification is a dilemma, it's, it's a challenge because people want things right now. I mean, that's why, and there are some good things about, you know, fast food, and there is microwaves. Think about how quickly we can get things. You know, only in America can a pizza arrive to your door faster than the ambulance. You know, it's just how things are. But it is important to have patience. And Haggai reminds the people that the people were seeking spiritual satisfaction for their work and saying, oh, you know, this isn't good enough or, or this isn't what it should be. But they were basing it upon their own individual desires and their expectations. And sometimes we think, oh, it's not good enough because we have a humanistic level of expectations from God. But God says, just serve me. Read the word of God. You might not be the best at things, but the key is 
to follow through in obedience and understand it and have patience. There's a little uh, magnet that used to be, I, I saw one time, it says, be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. The spiritual journey, the Christian life, doesn't mean that once you come to Christ, you have everything fixed. Now, God is still working on in us and through us. That's the benefit is that even though we're sinful people, he works in us and through us and uses us to help others despite our weaknesses, despite our flaws. All of us have flaws, but yet God still loves us and says, guess what? I'm going to allow you to honor me, to do things for me. Now, what other field, if it will, if we're, would that allow to happen? In the medical field, maybe? You make a lot of mistakes. Okay, I'm going to let you do that. But my whole point is, is that understanding is that God who works through us and in us changes our character, helps us to become more Christ-like. See, these individuals believe that the building of the temple would help them be spiritually correct before God because they were finally obeying. They thought, now that we, if we have the temple, you know, then we'll be in right standing with God. Sometimes, humanly speaking, if I do this, then I'll have favor with God or I'll be in a right relationship with God. Sometimes we seek satisfaction. If I go to church, then I'm pleasing God. If I pray, then I'm pleasing God. If I, if I read this, then I'm pleasing God. But if we don't have the right attitude, if we don't evaluate, understand our motives, and then also the relationship. And that is essential to understand here because it requires patience because God is teaching us things that we don't always want to learn. Let me give you an example. There's a man at the doctor's office, and he had a swollen leg. And what happened is it was all swollen. After careful examination, the doctor gave him a pill big enough to choke a horse. Have you ever remembered those old penicillin pills? But he gave him a big pill that would have choked a horse. Well, he said, I'll be right back with some water, the doctor tells him. The doctor had been gone a while, and the man didn't want to wait, and he had no patience. He loses patience. Finally, he hobbles over to the drinking fountain, you know, forces a pill down his throat, you know, gets under there, ah, swells, and like trying to get it down. It's all dry, and he finally gets it down, and then he hobbles back to the, to the examining room and sits at the table. The doctor comes back in with a bucket of warm water and says, okay, after the tablet is dissolves, soak that for at least 30 minutes. Sometimes we don't want to wait, and we have to learn the lesson the hard way. And that's often how our lives are. We have to go through and experience the mistakes. We make the mistakes because we don't have patience. Wait upon the Lord. I say wait. And as we see, the lack of patience often reveals an underlying cause. For some, it is the dissatisfaction with life themselves, or they cannot properly handle the stress they're under. Often people can exhibit patience with other people, but not with circumstances, or with their circumstances and not with people. Those who cannot practice patience with either, you know, they have a challenging road ahead. And let me just read some out of Psalms. If you want to turn to Psalm 37. I usually have it marked, but uh, in Psalm 37... Seven. Psalm 37 is a psalm written uh, by David about trusting in the Lord. And Psalm 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. 
If you think about the life of David, all he went through, and even in following after, remember Saul persecuted, wanted him killed, and he could have taken his life, but he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He was waiting for the timing that God would raise him up to be king. But it required a life of pretending that you're crazy and other challenges that he faced. And then in Psalm 40, uh, verse 1, it states and says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit and out of miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. It's hard to wait patiently. Picture this. You're the, the child, and uh, you know that there's Christmas presents under the tree. Christmas is coming or something. You're going to get something big. You know how hard it is for a child to wait? It's like you feel like you're going to burst. Are you waiting for a wedding? Are you waiting for something big? But the word says to wait patiently upon the Lord. Don't be distracted. Keep serving the Lord and focus upon what is important and follow after him. But remember, we must dwell and evaluate the interior. How is your heart at following after God? What is he trying to teach you? And it's important to remember, you know, to reiterate as we see in the next slide, the theme of Haggai again, where it says, consider your ways, re-examine your priorities. See, external issues are usually a symptom of an interior, internal problem. So we must evaluate the heart of the matter, our heart and our personal relationship with God. So don't be discouraged. If we're not focused or have not made our spiritual walk with God a priority, it will affect all our relationships. I've always said, Remember, our vertical relationship always affects our horizontal relationships. So it's important for us to understand that. Make that a priority in your life. It affects our work, our ministry for God. And the presence of God in our lives emphasizes a relationship of prayer, of scripture meditation, dwelling upon the word of God, and reading his word. And the root of all discouragement is selfishness because we are putting our own needs first. Be strong and work for I am with you. And then finally, the last slide as we see it. Be strong and work for, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged. Fulfill the work that God has given to you. Next week, we're going to look at this in a positive light, because there's ways that actually God does encourage us. So don't forget, God is with you. But don't be discouraged. Mm -hmm.